Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life, and, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Far we have uh, so far we have considered um, what it means to care about godly justice and how justice that comes from God is different than earthly ideas of justice and the same thing is is true for godly love and uh, uh, godly grace as. Earliness uh, spreads this carnal mindset, this selfish, self-seeking mindset creeps in all over society. And what we've been seeing is that some of these biblical words that are a part of our identity in Christ have been influenced by self. The way of the world is the way of self, seeking, uh, uh, seeking to satisfy my, uh, my needs, my wants. I want this. Uh, this is my desire. The way of the world is self-seeking. And not only is the way of the world self-seeking, but sin itself is, is often selfish in nature. You can look at uh, sins of, of, of all kinds and see that selfishness is at the root of all sin, seeking to satisfy selfish urges and seeking to put self over other, other people often leads to sin. And over time, what can happen is this selfish, worldly mindset can influence not only the world, but it can also influence how people see the Bible, how, how people interact with biblical words like justice, love, and grace that we've talked about. Over time, the line between what is of the world and what is of God can become blurred, and it's hard to differentiate what, what, is, what is true. And Christians need to know how to tell the difference. Christians need to know how to tell the difference between what the world says and what God says. Because sometimes the world claims to have something similar, if not even better. And the line, the line between what is of God 
and what is of the world becomes hardest to find when there is no truth. This week and uh, also next week, we'll continue to uh, 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 examine these core biblical words that should be a part of our identity as God's set apart. And as I've uh, uh, also mentioned, Throughout the rest of the year, we'll move on into a number of different studies about what it means to be set apart, what it means to be holy, uh, what really are we called to as God's holy people. But this morning, we'll look at one last biblical word, truth. Truth is at the heart of everything that we have been seeing in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we will be again this morning. We've all about our responsibility to rightly handle the word of truth. This is what Paul tells Timothy is his responsibility to rightly handle the word of truth uh, to the people who he's interacting with. And if we don't, if we do not rightly handle the word of truth, others and even ourselves could be led into more and more ungodliness. We saw in Second uh, Timothy two sixteen, truth is vitally important for God's people in the way that we live and the way that we talk with other people. But what role does truth play in our identity as God's set apart? And also, how has the world influenced what is truth? Or I think a better question would be, how has the world influenced how truth is perceived? We'll consider a couple of these questions this morning. I invite you to turn with me again to 2 Timothy chapter 2, where hopefully we'll continue to reclaim, continue to renew, continue to refresh our identity as God's set apart. Here's what Paul says about truth in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We read uh, some of this last week as we were uh, thinking about what it means to care about uh, uh, godly grace, how we treat others, or how the world often treats others And that as Christians, we're going to be people who patiently endure evil, just as God has patiently endured our evil. We are giving others what God has given to us. But as we press on in these verses, we see that Paul has a specific end goal in mind when he's talking about grace. His end goal that he has is that other people would come to know the truth. That's what Paul hopes, ha- hopes happen by asking these Christian leaders, these Christians, to interact with others in grace, as he hopes that other people can come to see truth. Truth is our ignition, and truth is our destination. Truth is our ignition, and truth is our destination. Here's what we're going to see this morning that everything that we've been reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2 has been moving us towards this estimation, this end goal that people would come to know the truth. We talked about 
caring about godly justice, that we're going to be people who treat others like they belong in the master's house. You remember the pots that we talked about? We're going to treat other people like they, uh, like they matter to the master. We're going to care about justice with the end goal that those people would come to know the truth. As God's people, we're going to care about love. We're going to stay away from, from uh, selfish and youthful passions, which is, the way of the war, uh, which is the way of the Lord, and we're going to give people something different. We're going to give people something godly. We're going to give them godly love so that the end goal, they can come to see the truth. And last week we talked about we're going to care about godly grace. We're going to avoid quarrels. We're not going to be involved in the arguments of the world, but in grace, we're going to teach those people with that end goal in mind, that they could see the truth. All of this for Paul here uh, is that the Lord's servants, God's people, you and me, would be able to correct our opponents with gentleness so that the people who oppose the church, the people that who, who don't believe in the Bible by interacting with you would come to see what is true. And ultimately, as we saw at the end of the reading, that they would escape the snare of the devil. That's where they are if they don't know the truth. This right here is, I think, a really good summary of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the people of God. Long since God called his people Israel out of Egypt, and now where God calls his people out of sin, this right here is God's identity for his set apart, that God's people would care about justice for people who are oppressed, that God's people would demonstrate selfless love when others around them are idolizing selfish pleasure, that God's people would show grace when, when the world is showing hostility. And when God calls his people out, like when he called his people out of Egypt. He's not calling them out to go away to this place where they're going to be on an island and they're going to be set apart. No, he's calling them out of Egypt and he's placing them once again in the, in the middle of these foreign nations. And when God calls us out of sin, he's not calling us to be separate from the world, but he's calling us to be in, in the world with a new identity. This truth that we have, the destination that we're striving to once we come to know, uh, once we come to know Jesus is something that by our actions and by how we treat other people, we want them to come to know as well. It's our destination and we, we should hope that it's others too. But truth is not just our destination, it's not just the end goal, it's also our ignition. It's also what, what, what's Urs us on to care about what God wants in this world. It's what drives us to care about things like justice and love and grace. As Christians, we don't care about these biblical words, these, these godly things, because we think that they are a better way as opposed to what the world is doing. If we know the truth, we know that this is the only way. This is the only way to live. And if truth is our 
end goal. And truth is what drives us to move closer to God every day. Then, like we saw at the end of this reading, the opposite of truth must be the end goal, must be the ignition for Satan. The age that we live in, just if you look around at the world around us, a lot that is happening uh, is happening because there's been a shift in how we think about truth, at least how the world thinks about truth. In the 17th and 18th centuries, during the Enlightenment era, there was a lot of uh, uh, progress in uh, areas of science and uh, uh, philosophy, and as they're improving in these areas and they're asking these questions, there's this big shift when it comes to truth. There's this shift away from objective truth, which is the way that things are, Object of truth is looking at something and says, this is the way that it is. There's a shift away from object of truth. There's a shift to truth that is relative. No longer is truth the way that things are, but truth is the way that you perceive it to be. And it doesn't sound like a big shift initially. And uh, honestly, uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, great things that uh, come out of the Enlightenment era as uh, People begin to question the status quo and not settle for the way that things are. And it actually leads us to some of the uh, freedoms that uh, you and I enjoy. But what happens when objective truth shifts to relative truth is that what happens when the way that you perceive something changes. Well then, truth changes. If there is no objective truth, when your perception about an idea or your perception about a person or your perception about an institution changes, well, the truth about that changes as well. And when we're in this era of relative truth, there are a great many opportunities for sin to get its foot in the door of our hearts. When truth is relative, Satan has more opportunities. And you can see some of the acts uh, of this in our culture right now, even, even when it comes to something like the family. When there is no objective truth, when there is no truth of this is the way that it is, this is the way that it was created to be, what about when our perception changes? And we get to define what the family is. And you can see the different ways that sin can creep in and change that truth. When it comes to definitions of life, and there is no objective truth that this is the value of life, or this is what life is, when perception changes, you can see how sin influences the minds of people. When there is no objective truth, we get to decide what truth is. And once the door has been opened to this way of thinking, once people have accepted that truth is no longer objective, truth is now up to me to decide. It's a slippery slope as to where it can lead. And this is something that Satan is fully aware of. We've seen him plant the seeds against truth in the earliest uh, uh, hours of, of creation. If you think back to the garden, when 
God creates the whole world and everything that is in it, and he places Adam and Eve in, in the garden, and he, he puts them there for a purpose. And he tells them what they're going to do, but then he also tells them one thing that they're not going to do, right? He says, you will not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you do eat of that tree, you will what? You will, you will surely die, right? Well, when Eve has a conversation with the serpent, the adversary, he doesn't kind of her that the apple is something else or that the fruit is something else. He convinces her that she's the one who gets to decide what's true about that fruit. And he takes the objective truth that Adam and Eve were given by God and turns it into a relative and says, you get to decide now what this fruit really is. And you'll see that Eve looks at that fruit and she determines that the food is good or eating, it's good to the eyes and it's good to make one wise. When her perception changes, her truth changes. And it doesn't just change for her, it changes for Adam too. And that slippery slope, that departure from truth that we see happen in Genesis chapter 3 happens on and on in the rest of the Bible, and we're still seeing the side effects of losing truth in our world today. Sure, it feels hard right now, but it's not new. It's a problem that you can see all over the pages of Scripture. Once you're in it, once you're in that trap that Satan has set where he says you will not surely die, once truth is relative, it's really hard to get out of that trap. Because over time, as your perception changes, so does your truth. The only thing that can rescue humanity, that can rescue you and I, that can rescue the world from that trap is truth. When there is no truth, especially among God's people, there are a great many opportunities for evil to spread, but I don't want you to take my word or it. You can see this happen all throughout, uh, uh, all throughout the scriptures, especially in the life of Israel, you can see that time and time again when it says Israel no longer knew what God did for his people, that's when God's people are no longer doing what God asked them to do. When there's no more truth, Israel, Israel tends to walk away. There are m many places that we see this, but I think one... Uh, I think one place where it's especially vivid is in the book of Isaiah. I have a great love uh, for the book of Isaiah, if you know that about me. Um, but in, in the book, truth is an underlying theme. More importantly, Israel not understanding the truth, not seeking the truth, is the underlying theme of the book of Isaiah. The book opens with God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's increasingly upset at what he's seeing with his people because he's looking at his people and hoping to find his people. He's hoping to find a group of people who look like they are God's people, but he looks at them and he sees that they don't know 
odd, and he sees a people who don't care about godly things. In particular, they don't care about justice, like we talked about, but they also don't care about his righteousness. When God looks for his people in Isaiah, he can't find them. The reason that he can't find them is because God's people don't know the truth anymore. They don't care to know the truth about God anymore. They're still doing the godly practices. They're still giving the offerings. They're still having the festivals. They're still doing these great godly things. But there's no relationship with Israel and God anymore because they don't care about the truth. And once that relationship is gone, once there's a departure from the truth, the lack of knowledge of God leads Israel into a whole host of sinful lifestyles. This is what the prophet says happens at the end of the book of Isaiah. When Israel, God's people, who should be God's people, no longer know the truth. This is in Isaiah chapter 59, starting in verse 14. Justice has turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public square. Uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him, because there was no justice. In the public square, when there is no truth, when truth stumbles, when truth is not objective anymore, when people lean on what they perceive to be true instead of what really is, all manner of evil will break loose, is what the prophet says. When there is no truth, there will be no justice, because justice is relative as perception changes. When there is no truth, there is no righteousness, because as perception changes, so does righteousness. When truth is relative, when there is no understanding that this is the way that God intended for it to be, God will look for his people where he left them, and he won't find them. This problem plagues Israel from the time that they leave Egypt on through the whole time that they're in the promised land until Assyria and Babylon actually invade because they have been such an idolatrous nation for so long. And at every turn, at every place where we see Israel mess up, it is always because they don't know who God is anymore. It's always because they've lost what is truth. What I hope we're seeing this morning is that truth is a very serious issue for the church. It's a very serious issue for Christians. And it is not just that we need to know the truth, but we need to know where to be looking to find the truth. The world around us often claims that they have found the truth. And a great many people will look at what the world is doing in in one area or another, and they'll settle for that false form of truth. And when we settle for the lie that it's up for us to decide what is true, well, we are in the same boat as Adam and Eve 
because misunderstanding truth means that you will surely die. Just as God said in Genesis 1 and 2. If you remember in, in the garden narrative, the cost of disobeying, disobeying God, the cost of not following truth meant that they would be led to their death. And we see that all throughout Scripture, that, a, that a, a disobedience to the truth of God, a living, choosing to live in sin, choosing to live apart from God, choosing to live in a place where you think you are in charge of your life, will always lead you away from God. Our sins have created an expanse between us and God. We desperately aid truth as, as, uh, uh, as humanity, and J- Jesus is the only way that we can find it. Jesus is the only way that we can, because of our sins, not surely die. And if we're Christians, we, we know this. Jesus is the way that we find the light. We see the truth, uh, uh, see the truth about Jesus at the opening of the Gospel of John, as was read earlier, the intro to John's gospel is a wonderful way to get a summary of the role that Jesus plays in what truth truth really is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things that were made were made through Him. And in that Word was was light and life. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is life. Jesus is the light. And more importantly, those who do not know Jesus, those who do not know yet who Jesus is, cannot comprehend truth. In John chapter 1, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some uh, translators will commonly understand the Greek phrase here and and. as the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. Without Jesus, it is impossible to comprehend truth. Without Jesus, it's impossible to find the truth. Without Jesus, there is no truth. And as long as people cling to their selfish ideas about the world and the selfish ideas of what truth is, they will have a hard time finding Jesus, mostly, mostly because they aren't looking. What's so important for you and for me as Christians, as, for, as God's people, as God's set apart, this is a part of our identity, is we are to be people who are driven by truth, that truth deeply influences the way that we live, that it deeply influences the way that we work and the way that we treat others and the way that we exist in our households, that truth be a part of who we are as human beings. With the end goal, that as Paul described, that by living in truth and showing truth to others, the people who you interact with would come to know the truth. And would, and that a too would be able to escape the trap of Satan. 
But here's the truth about you and me. We didn't find truth because we are smarter than people who aren't Christians. We did not find truth because we are better at living, because we are better that uh, we didn't find it because we're more open-minded. The only reason that we found truth is because truth comes from our God, and our God found us. There is only one truth, and that truth comes from God. And our role in giving truth to other people is not to say, here's how I have found something better. It's, no, here's what God's shown me. Let me show you, let me show you too. What sets us apart if we have God's truth? What sets us apart from the world? What sets Christians apart from non-Christians? We aren't set apart because we care about biblical words. We aren't set apart because we care about things like justice and love and grace and truth. That's not why we're set apart. We're set apart because we care about those things and we look to our God to find them. Our world is trying to understand justice. Our world is trying to understand love. Sometimes they're trying to understand grace and they're certainly trying to understand truth, but they're not looking to the creator to understand those things. That's what sets God's people apart from the world is that when we need truth, we go to our God. The world, like we've seen uh, all month, is looking for some of these things, but instead of turning to the Creator, they are looking at self to understand what love is and what truth is. As Christians, we need to live in such a way. We need to love in such a way. We need to care for other people in such a way that we urgently want them to know the truth, the same truth that we have if we know who Jesus is. And just like showing grace, like we talked about last week, even if absolutely nothing changes, even if we love our heart out and we care for the oppressed and we give grace to the people who we would call our enemies, even if we keep doing those things and absolutely nothing changes, we cannot waver on the truth. Because as soon as Christians start to waver on the truth, we give away everything. Truth is not relative. Truth comes from our God. And as Christians, we need to continue to pour into truth. We need to continue to look for truth in God's word in our relationship with God in the Christian communities that we have. That's where we will find truth. And without truth, without the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he came to die so that you could know him. Without that truth, we will most certainly die. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you have ever responded to the truth, that Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to bear the weight of your sins anymore, if you've ever responded to that truth and received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life, We would love, love, love to help make that happen. We would love to study with you and to baptize you in the aim of our Lord and Savior. If you are a Christian this morning, 
And maybe there are areas in your life where you have negotiated a little bit on the truth. I urge you to look to God alone. If you have sin in your life that you need to ask for uh, forgiveness for, I invite you to draw near to your brothers and sisters of Christ as we all draw near to our Lord. If you have any need, whether it's here in person or if it's or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, please make it known. Right now as we stand and we sing.